0: Day and silent, I might go insane as the sun pokes through, but it's still pouring rain. And this bottle of booze gives me a peculiar smile, and telling me to write her a song so maybe she would stay a while. Christmas Eve and I'm dressed my best I got a cannonball for a heart in my chest And the clock keeps ticking Reminding me that there's still time I've been up all night Hoping that she'd be mine She's got a smile that shines, a laugh that sings I know I'm drunk, but I mean all of these things And the beat of my heart has a thump Like my body wants to sound an alarm I'm just thinking about tomorrow And wishing I had her in my arms Women, I can feel the fatigue I got this little inclination That she's out of my league And I'm spilling my soul Confirming what she knew all along And now I'm just sitting in the middle Of what went right and what went wrong You're underrated That's understood Living life like they wish they could Tear my walls I promise I'd still stay inside So I guess you're my moon Cause you're starting to control my ties You got a smile that shines A laugh that sings I know I'm drunk But I'm in all of those things And the beat of my heart has a thump Like my body needs to sound an alarm and I'm just thinking about tomorrow and wishing I had you in my arms. I'm just thinking about tomorrow and wishing I had you in my arms. I'm just thinking about tomorrow wishing I had you in my
1: arms.
2: Welcome to another edition, Tangentially Speaking, coming at you from rainy, haily hailey. Is that a word? A place where there's a lot of hail? Is it haily? If so, haily Portland, Oregon. There was hail falling from the sky today. It wasn't golf ball size. You always hear about the golf ball sized hail that falls in places like Kansas. Uh, No, this was... um, I don't know what, it was uh, small, it was uh, the size of um, small, those, 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 those fake berries that used to come in count, was it count? No, it couldn't have been count chocula, it was some other fucked up cereal I ate as a kid, some sugary concoction that rotted my teeth and my brain, probably fucked up my liver, but of course they'll blame that on the booze when it finally goes out, but it wasn't the booze, it was those fake berries in the Captain Crunch, that's how big the hailstones were that were falling from the Portland sky earlier today. Uh, I recorded a podcast with the great, very funny, very, very brave uh, Nikki Glaser. Uh That'll be coming in a couple of weeks. Uh, she came to my little dismal studio and we recorded that this morning. And, and I didn't know Nikki really well. Um, she, I met her in L.A. I did a show uh, in Hollywood with her and Moshe Kasher and, um, Nick, what's it, Nick Kroll. I think he has a TV show, Nick Kroll a very funny guy. And anyway, we did this show basically about monkey balls. I think it's a podcast. You'll, you'll find it in the archives cause Moshe and I released it. Um, co-released it. Anyway, I met her at that gig and we had a good time and met her boyfriend backstage and he had read our book. And, um, anyway, she's in town, uh, this weekend performing at the helium club and she agreed to drop in and do a podcast. And, uh, I feel after having spent the morning with her, like I know her quite well now. It, it was, if you don't know who she is, you're not a fan, whatever you're going to really, uh, you're going to have a new, a new favorite comedian after listening to this. I think she's something else. Anyway, enough about that. I'm feeling dis discombobulated um not to say um disheveled as well i probably look disheveled i feel discombobulated uh i'm in the middle of moving we just moved our apartment and now i'm halfway through moving the office from which i speak uh so things are spread out all over the place i haven't been working on the book the way i should be which always bums me out and um so pardon me if i seem even more confused and uh <clears throat> like I say, discombobulated than than normally. Have you ever noticed the class of words that only exist in the negative, like discombobulated? You never hear anyone say, you know, how are you feeling today? Oh, d- pretty combobulated, actually. Thanks for asking. Uh, yesterday I was discombobulated, but today I, I've recombobulated, and so I am perfectly combobulated today, as a matter of fact. Uh, thanks, Bob. Um you know, disheveled, the same thing Hey, you're looking pretty shoveled today Congratulations You you, uh, you know, that's a sharp outfit <clears throat> Don't hear that Disgusted How come there's only disgusted? How come you never gusted? You know, ooh, how, how's that food make you feel? I'm, I'm gusted, that's, that's great, yeah Or the disgruntled employee, you know Nobody ever talks about the gruntled employees I don't know, what's the fucking point? What's the point of words that only exist in the negative? But of course there are people, there are personalities who only exist in the negative, who define themselves by what they're against, right? The anti-gays, the anti-immigrants, the anti-Mexicans, the anti-blacks, anti-whites, anti-Indians, anti-Pakistanis, anti-whatever the fuck they're against. They define themselves in terms of what they're against, what they're In opposition to. So they sort of exist in the same way that those words exist, only in the negative. Interesting. That's actually, now here's a weird connection, that sort of thinking is what led to the sensory deprivation tank. Uh, John Lilly, who uh, was a dolphin researcher, as some of you will know, uh, was working in the must have been the fifties on um, trying to communicate with dolphins. He was the the lead researcher in the world on that. He was a, a, a amazing genius, and um, when he realized that the U.S. military was using his research to train dolphins to do things like kill Vietnamese. Uh, who were you know trying to swim up and plant bombs or to plant or using the dolphins in fact to plant bombs themselves and you know suicide missions using dolphins he quit and left his lab in the Bahamas and uh ended up in Big Sur, I think in California and uh my friend Stanley knew him and um and and he wanted to solve one of the the biggest questions in psychology, which is the question of consciousness, and specifically whether or not consciousness is a reactive phenomena, whether consciousness exists only in terms of responding to stimuli, or whether it exists as a thing in itself. So you know if you weren't like dealing with colors and sounds and sensations temperature and breeze against your hair and is consciousness merely the attending to all this information that's coming in through your senses or is it something that exists independent of all that information and, and response within you so that's what led john lilly to first get into this idea of developing tanks uh with body temperature water and then first they were with um diving uh helmets and then later he got into you know adding the salt to make it buoyant and eventually that's what led to the the sensory deprivation or the flotation tanks that we have today you can spend you know 30 bucks and go down and float for 90 minutes well this is the idea this was the question that um sparked the the development of these things this idea of do we exist independently or only as a response to something else? Cassie and I were smoking a doobie in the park the other day, and <clears throat> and we were talking about Portland and how some friends that we've spoken to who've lived here for a long time complain about the way Portland's changing. And it's it's interesting how it's changing in a way that's sort of emblematic of these things, where... What what made people love Portland back in the day was the eccentricity and the live and let live attitude, the sort of laid-back, hippie, artistic vibe that they found here. And <clears throat> what's happened is that that vibe has become a fashion. And now people come here who don't really have that vibe. And you've heard me whine about Nazi hippies before, but I think— You know, this shows how it happens, right? There's a certain thing that's happening, and then it becomes somewhat famous for that thing. And then people who want to be associated with that thing show up, but they're not organically that thing. In other words, um, so people come to Portland— Because they want to be associated with the bearded, flannel shirt, tattooed, artistic, open-minded kind of vibe that this place authentically developed. But those people who are choosing that identity from a magazine or from a story they heard from somebody or from a TV show those aren't open-minded, authentic people. Those are run-of-the-mill bullshit people because they're not, their their search for identity doesn't include silence. It doesn't include introspection. It's, I want to be like that. I had a girlfriend once who told me she wanted to buy hippie clothes because she wanted to be a hippie and That was sort of, maybe that was the moment when I realized the relationship was not going anywhere because like that isn't how you become a hippie by looking like one, right? Think about surfers, right? Surfer culture, how in the 70s it was cool. It was laid back. It was accepting and open and cool, you know, and then it became, and then you got surfer magazines and then you got surfer clothing and the surfer outfits and the surfer shorts and you got the surfer haircuts and the surfer shoes and then being surfer became one of these off-the-rack fucking identities that you can choose and buy and pay for and then walk around in the uniform. And then surfing culture became kind of bullshit. I mean, I'm sure there's still great, cool places, but the major, you know, Malibu, Hawaii, all these places, from what I hear from buddies of mine who are surfers, they've become kind of hard places because there's so many wannabes there. So I don't know what the hell that has to do with anything. I guess that ju- I just got off on that because of the words that exist as the negative of something. In other news this week, I think we've crossed the Rubicon. We, as a culture, have jumped some kind of shark here because uh, this week a black dude got called a racist because he called a white dude a nigger. <clears throat> All right. Now, I don't know. We've got we've actually come to the point where people are giving a black dude shit and calling him a racist because he said, fuck that nigger, to a white guy or about a white guy. <clears throat> so that was the the NCAA championships, Kentucky Lars semifinalist. that Kentucky lost to Wisconsin. Somebody asked this guy, Lawrence, I think he's one of the twins who were playing for Kentucky, about Frank Kaminsky, who's white, and he said under his breath to his buddy who was sitting next to him, fuck that nigger and so now i asked some people and it, you know as far as i know what a black dude called you a nigger, that's a compliment i mean that means you're in you're cool you're accepted you know that, but apparently not according to the experts on twitter of which there are millions so i say fuck those experts on twitter anytime a black guy wants to call me that i'm down with it but clearly uh mr lawrence is a uh a cracker ass honky <clears throat> and i i think i'm allowed to say that right am i allowed to call a black guy a cracker ass honky i think so by the way that beautiful little love song that you heard at the beginning is called thinking about tomorrow and it's by tom parks p a r k e s and you can find it at um on soundcloud just go to soundcloud.com Do a search for Tom, T-O-M, Parks, P-A-R-K-E-S, and you will find Thinking About Tomorrow and some other tunes by Tom. Uh, I'm so discombobulated that I kind of forget where that came from. I think Tom sent me an email, I guess, but somehow I ended up with an MP3 of that song, and I assume permission to use it from Tom. But honestly, I kind of forget. I couldn't find the email. I searched for it. I couldn't find it. Something weird is going on with my email shit just disappears. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, uh, so that was Tom Parks' uh, Think About Tomorrow. Nice song. Nice, chilled out, simple, lovely little love song. Quick update on the military thing. Uh, I asked people who were in the military, uh, who had been in the military, who had experience with that culture to get in touch and at this point probably about 20 people have been in touch um all of them with interesting things to say interesting perspectives and i think this is an, an important enough and ignored enough part of american society that it's it's really worth getting into it with these guys i first thought oh maybe i can like edit it all together and do like an an episode with a bunch of different people but I think I'd just like to let each of these people tell their story and I'll just sort of pepper the episodes in amongst the other ones, maybe one a month or something like that. So thank you for everybody who has been in touch and uh, we'll start rolling those out uh, within the next few weeks. Okay, so before I, I stop yammering, uh let me just uh, thank various people Carsi Blanton for smoke alarm at the end of the podcast you all know and love that song check her out com. you can drop some change in her tip jar which she much appreciates if you want to drop change in my tip jar which i much appreciate you can go to fundwhatyoulove.com i'm trying to i'm trying to get it up like around a 1000 bucks a month if i could get a 1000 bucks a month from this podcast i would feel like um it's uh it's paying its way uh and it it, until we get to a thousand bucks a month I feel like it's my poor jobless brother who takes up a lot of time and sleeps on my sofa that's the status of the podcast now I love him but dude you've been on my sofa for a couple years now it's starting to get a little uh, irritating. So, if you want me to love my brother, who I don't have, but that's what the podcast is, and you want him to be able to have his own place, you can uh, throw a couple bucks in the tip jar there at fundwhatyoulove.com. Also, if you've got your own thing going on, if you've got, if you create art in some way, or you run a nonprofit, or, you know, whatever, you're doing creative work that you think people might um, be able and willing to to support you can set up your own account at Fund What You Love. Um, The whole project is set up by Danny, who listens to the podcast and also does the... I don't know what he does. Is it editing or remastering or something? He takes the sound files and cleans them up so that they don't uh, mess up your ears when you listen to them and you can hear them in the car and all that. So Danny's been doing that as of just volunteering his time for quite a while. So uh, he set up the site. Check him out. You can also... If you have audio needs, you can go to emeraldcitypro.com dot com and talk to Danny about helping you with your podcasting or musical or whatever audio needs you have. There's a Reddit community of people listen to this. Go to Reddit r e d d i t dot com and do a search for tangentially speaking altogether, and you'll find that community pushing a thousand people. I think at this point, so that's pretty active. People talking about episodes and. Books and clarifying bullshit that I say and, you know, things I forget. And so it's nice. It's uh, it's like having a team of fact checkers looking over my shoulder here. Um, and com. That's the the intro smooth, groovy music. I think that's it. So this week's guest is Magnus Sullivan is what he's calling himself. That's not his real name, but that's the name we use sort of sloppily in this interview because... Well, he explains why at the very beginning why he's using a pseudonym. Um, but but Magnus is a friend of mine uh, I've known for a few years now. <clears throat> he was involved in organizing a talk I gave in San Francisco when I was on the Great Sex at Dawn tour of 2010, and um, we become we we have been friends ever since then, and we've uh, worked together in various projects. So he was uh sort of producing I I guess producing and directing a film for a porn company for I think it's for Adam and Eve who sell sex toys and and various types of smut and he convinced them to finance a real movie that has sex in it so it's not a porn movie this is a real movie with beautiful sets and you know shot in San Francisco very uh artfully put together with character development and interesting uh issues being discussed basically it's about a young couple who have decided to open up their relationship and the challenges that they face in doing that the jealousies and you know the difference between the idea of it and the reality of it and how do you deal with the other people and and does it solve pre-existing problems in the relationship or make them worse all the sorts of issues that real people deal with when they confront this in this uh, situation the film's called marriage 2.0 <clears throat> and um as part of the, the the narrative the the woman is a documentary filmmaker so as she's going through this played by India Summer by the way for porn aficionados we will know who she is uh As she's going through this, she's making a film about relationships and new relationship models and polyamory and all this. So she interviews me as part of the movie within the movie. So I appear in a porn movie. Wow. Uh, Fully clothed. You'll be glad to hear. Uh, And I have a couple of scenes with uh, India Summer. And, uh, I think Cassie and I are, Cassie appears as well. So anyway, um, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about making porn movies, the, the business of porn movies, the, the realities, the, the aspirations and so on. Um, so you can uh, check out, go to, I think it's marriage 2.0.com or just Google marriage 2.0 and you'll find the site of the movie. And i I think we mentioned it in the conversation as well. Um, so that's it. Hope you enjoy this. I've been rambling here for almost 24 minutes so that's more than enough for me. Uh hope things are going great wherever you are and we'll uh I'll be back at you next week. Thank you. Bye. i I like to get the sound check as, you know, recorded and that was uh was a good bacon. You don't get a lot of bacon uh oriented <laughs> sound checks. All right. So, I'm here uh in the Ace Hotel, the the interesting Ace Hotel in downtown Portland with, uh, what are we calling you, Magnus? Is that your name? That's my name today. Uh, Magnus uh, is not this guy's real name, but uh, we're calling you that because you are a nefarious uh, underworld kingpin porn
3: producer well, you're the first to call me that, and so I, obviously my reputation is beginning to grow <laughs> I've been aiming to be a nefarious you know uh king porn kingpin but uh yeah yeah basically the what happened is um the the first time I got involved in any adult related content uh you know professionally at least where you know I made a movie, um I used my real name, and uh <clears throat> what happened is uh somebody happened to post on Facebook. Just a, a, an innocent post saying, hey, Magnus, it's on the success of your film. And somebody in my son's soccer group, a parent in my son's soccer group, saw the post and was like, film? What film? <laughs> and then they, of course, began to do searches. And they found out that, you know, I was behind this, this movie. And uh, the entire soccer group, um, these are North Berkeley liberals, right? Like progressive liberals um, who's, you know, uh, medical marijuana, you know, Hot, card-carrying, you know, liberals um, <clears throat> ordered a movie and had a a private screening where they all watched the movie without me being present and without me knowing about it, and uh, and then were just shocked, absolutely shocked. And I got phone calls. This, this movie was kind of about swing, the swinging culture. So they had a private screening <laughs> of your movie. Like like the neighborhood association or something. Well, or it was PTA like a club? around Thanksgiving and they were having a big get together <laughs> and literally and they they screened this movie. Let's watch
2: and, a porn yeah, movie. Yeah, no,
3: watch well. Let's let's watch Magnus's porn movie and you, you've already identified
2: yourself as Magnus and you've also already <laughs> placed yourself in North Berkeley. <laughs> well, that's fine. That's fine. But I mean, we, we can start over. Yeah, um, you want um, to
3: start over. Uh... I think that's fine I mean this is this is a story about you know what what in part what what was behind this whole movement and and you know these people saw this movie Mm -hmm. and were just shocked Um, and uh, one one person you know called called up my wife and you know, basically said, do you have any idea what your husband's doing? So like, well, what? <laughs> what do you mean? And, you know, her, her 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 mind's going to like, you know, financial stuff right. you know? like, you know, your husband's out there doing all this crazy stuff. She's like, Oh, yeah, I'm aware of that. And then then the then that person's husband called me up and said, are you trying to fuck my wife? Oh, really? And, and that's when I realized there's some questions that have no right answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like, like, no, who would want to put your one. Of course I want be. Well, I wasn't uh, trying. Yeah, <laughs> would you like me to? Um, so, yeah, that, that, that resulted in a pretty shocking example of how controversial sexual content is in our culture, right? Wow. These are, these are very educated, Berkeley. very liberal, um, uh, you know, generally open minded people. Yeah. But when, when you inject sex, and non-monogamy into the equation, they freak out because it really shatters, you know, uh, all of their. You know, these are these are people that you know, as, as, as wonderful as they are, it's a wonderful group of people. Many of them are struggling with the same issues that, that most, you know, half of the people in marriages at least are struggling with. It's like how do I how do I make this work over 20, 30, 40 years? Yeah. I mean, these are these are difficult things to do, and, and particularly when part of making that work is denying. Uh, the role that um, sexual adventure plays in our lives or should play in our lives, right? And so they've got this massive chasm that develops in their life over 20 years. Yeah. And they just figured out a way of walking around it and not talking about it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, this film kind of shoves it right in front of them. And they see that, you know, my wife and I have a very dynamic life and, and it's threatening. It's like, hey, they're happy. They're functional. Their kids are happy. Yeah. You know, they're vibrant. Um, and it's a, it's a tremendous threat to their whole paradigm. And that's what happened. And so for a couple of years, uh, it, was, it was interesting for us, too, because we had to make the decision, well, what do you do with that, right? Yeah. Um, you know, how do you respond to that? And particularly my wife was really freaked out because she was worried about her, her career, right? She has a, holds a, a, a kind of public position, and she was very worried about what it would do to our kids um, and how it would affect their, their position and their social circles, which is really important to them. Yeah. And, and my response was, we just have to keep showing up. And for two years we showed up at these parties and people we were like pariah, you know, people wouldn't sit next to us or <laughs> didn't really want to look at us or talk to oh, us. Not all of them. Sweet. Not all of them. But but, yeah. but it was obviously very uncomfortable for people. Oh, man. Um, and to their credit, <clears throat> you know, over time they adjusted and accepted and re-embraced in, in kind of like an adjusted paradigm that they did, you know, ultimately re-embrace. And so it was yeah. a good it was a good lesson for us on many levels, which is, you know, what can initially be very shocking to people, given time and given you know uh, sort of clarity and balance, they can adjust to it.
2: And, and we should we should stipulate that the film we're talking about is not, uh, you know, there's no sort of uh, disgusting, humiliating, uh, you okay. know, it's not, we're not talking about gangbang, you know, no. bukkake porn. We're talking about a, a film that won several awards and was, you know, is extremely successful as sort of trying to uh, bring some sophistication to erotic films, right? I mean, it's not, it's not something you see on some stroke site.
3: Right. It, it's borderline. I mean, <clears throat> I wanted it to be much more of a, an artistic expression than it ended up being, but um, it certainly was. It was my first attempt to work within the adult genre to address you know, a complicated issue in a meaningful way, right? And artful way. It's and, called open, an open invitation, an open invitation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Um, and I shot that in conjunction with kink, and uh, uh, so you know, it, there is definitely you know hardcore porn, right? right. I mean, it's it's right. a, it's it's sex, it's it's hardcore explicit sex, and that's what was really shocking to people, right? Because they just associate that yeah. with like, oh my god, if if you're in any way involved with that, yeah, you must be a certain type of person. Right. Right. So those, those, those porn tropes just apply across all these. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing the
2: hypocrisy around that. And I, I, you know, obviously Casilda and I've dealt with that same sort of energy, you know, over the past five, six years where you, you know, you're at a dinner party and, uh, it comes out like, you know, what my doctorate was about or the book or whatever. And you can just see like a line develops between the people who are fascinated by it and want to know more and the people who get real judgmental and distant and uncomfortable. And and I think you're right. I I think that especially for sort of older married people, there's so much pain around their own sexual relationship and sense of failure and shame that – You know, even if it was good at the beginning, it's not anymore, and nobody knows what to do about it, and so we're just not going to talk about it, and so that sort of it's like a, I don't know what's the, it's like you know some sort of a tumor that's growing in their relationship, and as you say, they develop all these ways to avoid it. And so then you show up and suddenly you know, there's the topic of conversation is something nobody wants to be talking about. So it turns into animosity against you.
3: And, you know, what's funny about that, though, <clears throat> and this is part of what I'm still learning how to do effectively, right, which is uh, uh, talk to those people. Because those are the people you actually want to talk to in a way. It's yeah. the people that have the knot that's really tight yeah. who are interested in untying it. But when you come right out there and say, hey, you know – this is this is what my life looks like. That's that's too yeah. much too quickly. Right. And you know, I was just at a, at another, you know, school event actually and I was talking to this woman. She she was kind of curious, you know, to learn more about what I actually did because she knew that I was doing some creative stuff on the side and so I I started with this just explanation about the trajectory of, you know, uh, my life and and how it went from this position of, you know, meeting. I met my wife when I was 15 in, yeah. in high school, right? And, yeah. uh, and we were best friends for, you know, six years. And then we started dating. And, and then the dating, you know, turned into a long-term, you know, live, live-in relationship. And then then we talked about marriage. And it was really strange for us because we had such this, this foundation. It was like, what, well, that's going to ruin everything. I mean, that was actually my feeling, which is like that, that will ossify, you know, the relationship. And what keeps this thing so vibrant is this a little bit of... You know, the need to wake up every day and and have a relationship instead of just assume, you know, a pathway to death together. Mm. Right. And and uh, so I was really freaked out about that. And then we did it. And, and it was awkward. Right. You know, it's, it's it is a strange thing. And, and and, you know, talking about somebody, you know, all of a sudden it's your wife or your husband. Yeah. And, you know, it's like the, the words, those words those words. It's like a weird thing. They put yeah. an idea in your head and a feeling inside of you. And then and then people have expectations that shift too when you when your relationship goes there. You know, you know, it was easier for me because
2: Cassie and I got married in Spain, and um, you know, saying my mi mujer mm. is my woman, and that, to me that just sounds sexier. You know, it sounds se- whereas wife is like an anti sexy <laughs> word. You know what I mean? <laughs> You know what right. I mean? In English, it's like, oh, that's my wife. Like, yeah, that's my ball and chain. <laughs> that's the old lady. You know, right. wife isn't a sexy word, yeah. but in Spanish, mujer, I and mean, what a great woman. You know, it's yeah. anyway. Sorry, I interrupted you. So yeah, it, it's a weird transition, and and so I, I, to what extent do you want to talk about? Are you open to talking about your personal thing here? No, because, but that was
3: kind of it. I mean, I felt like yeah. you know that was part of the story where I was telling her how we went from you know this young completely in this very idealized romantic love Mm -hmm. affair for Mm -hmm. for decades Mm -hmm. and then you get married and we had a very interesting you know you know personal life beforehand She was kind of an artist and you know i was into all sorts of stuff and so we had these kind of eclectic social circles that mixed and then you know career hits and uh and you know she became a doctor and and worked her ass off for many many years and and i started a business and worked my ass off for many years and then you get a house you know? So now you identify that your wife is a doctor. And and that we have a house. <laughs> you we have a you're house. You're very bad at keeping yeah, a, yeah, c- your identity yeah, yeah, secret, yeah, I'll tell yeah, you. Right. Well, I, mean, I, I assume I'm not the only man, you know, married to a doctor, right? There's many of them. you uh, have to edit the shit and, out of this. Right, right, You'll be know, all this. Cover it all up. And then you get the house, kids, you get the, and the job, yeah. and then you have kids, yeah. and then... You know, that's basically a form of torture. You know, we realize, like, you know, people say, oh, that's a wonderful one. You know, I mean, for two years, you're in this deep, dark pit being, you know, woken up every few hours, and, you know, you know the woman's breastfeeding, and, you know, often the nipples are torn up, and, you know, it's it's a brutal process, and people don't really acknowledge that, and you're, you know, and then it's the most interesting thing because you go from being this, you know, monogamous couple, you know, into essentially... A, a situation that's very similar to, you know, a, a, a true non-hierarchical poly situation, right? Where there's another person that enters into the family structure uh, to whom you feel equally, if not more, obligated. That's overnight. Overnight. No, I, I often draw Never this parallel. No, no, yeah. and, it, and it creates a lot of jealousy and stress and tension, you know? And yeah. a lot of time you hear about the guys going like, ah, oh, Jesus Christ, man, you know, our sex life disappeared, yeah. he pays attention to the child all along. And then, and then the whole thing over, like, chores and tasks and, you know, taking care of the basics of living, you know. And everybody feels like they're working their ass off and everybody feels like they're doing a little more work than the other person, you know. And, and it, you can just turn into a, a bicker fest, you know. And, and you're tired, you're sleep deprived, you're stressed out, your relationship is completely changed, you know. You're sharing love, you're sharing responsibilities, um, you know, like little things. Like I remember my wife was used to me waking up every morning and making breakfast and bringing coffee in bed. And all of a sudden, I was like, well, all of the kid's, like, you know, crying. He's got, you know, a poopy diaper. And so that's what I'd take care of instead of breakfast. And these little things, I was like, oh, my God, our relationship's changed. You don't bring me breakfast anymore, right? <laughs> you know? And he's like, yeah. so little, but, yeah. I mean, little things like yeah. that. And, you know, or, or from me, you know, like little, just little ways that she would pay attention to me that she no longer had the bandwidth for, just shifted, yeah. you know. And, and so you get into this role, and you can see how how – People after 10, 15 years, you know, and these are people without the foundation that we had, which is, you know, one of uh, just, you know, really kind of, you know, very direct communication about issues when they would come up. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. one thing I think our relationship has. is It's always like, whether it's me or her, we're always acknowledging that something is, that there's a knot forming, you know, somewhere. And then we talk about it. And, 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 uh, uh, and, you know, so we, we have that. But if you don't have that, it's very easy to see how people go on 10 years and, you know, and the kids leave or the kids kind of finally grow up or they're self-sufficient and they look at each other and say, I, I, I don't know. I don't know who you are. Yeah. Right. I'm like, we're, we're so we're so emotionally disconnected now. Um, I uh, I don't even know where to begin the conversation. Yeah. And there's such a lack of practice in having that conversation. And there's so much defensiveness built up in the relationship. Um, <clears throat> you know, there's just this reservoir of, of resentment. Oftentimes that, that's there that it can't even start the conversation. And you know, luckily that wasn't the case with us, and we just sort of sat down and, and started talking, like, Wait, whoa, whoa, what happened? You know, like we just woke up one day and like, what the hell happened? And and we talked and you know, and it was funny to like go through the process of of the things that we were thinking about. We was like, you know what, you know what? It's the summer home. We've gotta get a summer home. <laughs> Oh buy that's, something. That'll so solve. That's your what's missing. Yeah. All of our friends who seem happy have summer homes. So let's get we you know, and then I was like, Oh, that's
0: not it, that's not it.
3: Um, and then we started talking so more. And what what it came down to, interestingly enough, was just this this one word and it was adventure. And it was like we lost a sense of adventure. And mm-hmm. and, and and that's really tied to, you know, the 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 day-to-day grind of modern urban living, right, Um, uh, the dual income modern urban life, and it's just hard, and and you know what's going to happen tomorrow, you know what's going to happen next week, and part of it's the the routine that, you know, kids can often bring into it, you know what's going to happen next month, and and this is where I say, you know, it felt like we were on a, you know, riding down a desert road, you know, heading towards, you know, two tombstones in the distance, And, and you're passing this very enticing landscape, and you just can't get out of the car. And, and it is funny because, uh, you know, I, I
2: completely hear what you're saying, but, but it's ironic because I can't think of any adventure more intimidating to me than having kids, you know. But it does take that palpable f- sense of adventure out of your life because you have to be so stable and, you know, worried about safety and consistency. And, so it's a weird thing. It's a huge adventure, but, you know, it's kind of like these guys who, like, go to the moon, astronauts. They have to be unemotional. I often think, what a tragedy it is. Why don't we send fucking poets to the (laughs) moon, right? We pick these guys who are trained forever to show no emotion and feel no emotion, and we send them to the most mind-blowing experience you could possibly have. What the fuck? That is such a bad plan, you know? (laughs) Send a musician or something up there, not a fucking scientist test pilot. Fuck that guy. What's he going to tell us about the experience? Yeah, it was uh, it was quite uh, fascinating <laughs> to uh, see the Earth from a great distance. Uh, gave me a, a renewed sense of perspective. Anyway, so so what the hell are we talking about? So so I, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know to what extent you want, you you want to talk about your personal thing or the professional? I mean, how?
3: how well, the, it's they're tied, right? I mean, yeah. because what got me. So anyway, I mean, the the long story is, I I, I I should say,
2: you and I are good friends, so that's why I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I with most most guests, I just like go wherever I go. But since you and I know each other so well, I don't want to veer into things that are you know more personal than you want to
3: discuss. No, I think they're, they're they're very tied, and and I think that's part of what you know I've been trying to do with the movies, and and it's it's I I just was kind of laying out that landscape a little bit to say that you know I've found that when I approach people. Who would otherwise be shocked and i described the trajectory the arc right. of of how we got from one place to another right right and and how we ended up in a uh, you know a an ethically non-monogamous situation because we definitely didn't want to cheat okay. neither of us ever did that's right? what i didn't know if you wanted to talk that's right and, <laughs> okay. and 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 part of it yeah. was just like this word adventure came up and we're right. like you know what we just we just we just got caught up in a rut and right. it's so easy to do right sure. we just got caught in a rut and so we made an active you know a decision Okay. Like, hey. and we have very – my wife and I have very different tastes and things, and we, um, we share many, uh, many interests, and, and we don't share other interests. And so part of it was like, you know what? You need to go out and do the things that make you feel engaged and vitalized, and and, and me too. And so we started to do that, you know, yeah. and, and, and the funny thing was it's like all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, I mean, you're sitting down and, and you're having, you know, really passionate conversations with people about stuff, and you're all of a sudden – you know, kind of like attracted to that person. And, and that, so that question kind of evolved, like, well, well what do you do with that? Yeah. You know, what, what, what's that about? Cause I mean, actually part of this whole like adventure is kind of also sexual too with us and with our, you know, our others and ourselves. So that led to another big, long conversation and, yeah. and, and a, a series of, 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 you know, kind of comical, uh, uh you know, misstarts that, you know, are, are amazing that we actually survived them. Uh, uh, I'll tell you one one day the, the the swingers party with the Russian midget who came out dancing in front of my wife. <laughs> we were Kind of like yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you know, maybe there's a reason. It's like fantasy and reality, and there it, it tends to be a gap between the a two. Russian yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was classic. Yeah, she yeah. came out. It was it was literally it was literally like my wife almost said, all that's missing is like the Russian midget, and he pops out of a cake. <laughs> He's like, hey, you know, da 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 da. Wow. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, it was, that was almost the end of everything. And, but, but that, you know, what was fascinating is, like, that started a whole process of just connecting to people, right? right? That's what it really was about is all of a sudden, because it gets hard as you get older and, you know, there's just something that, you know, it's, it becomes increasingly difficult to have the kinds of connections that you have with people that you have in high school and college or these other yeah. very intimate environments, right? There's some barrier that's always there. And sometimes it's just time. Yeah. But, you know, um, it just gets harder to – and people are worried about opening up about their lives and things like that. So intimacy, which is like this fundamental thing that we crave and want and need, um, gets more and more difficult. And, uh, and so we found ourselves like, hey, you know, part of non-monogamy, ironically, was because initially it was just sort of like this great sexual buffet. You know, it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> you, know, you jump in. It's all you can eat. And then you realize, well – the thing that you're taking away from all those experiences was actually the fact that you were lying in bed having a conversation with somebody in a way that I hadn't had for, for decades, you know, mm. outside of my wife and and um and so it was really a process of, hey, people, you know, sex and this is what I really identified with the book. It's like sex is kind of a bonding thing, you know, ultimately. It was it's mm. a bonding thing and, and it was an expression of intimacy. And yeah, there's physical sexual pleasure and all that stuff too, but it, it became much more than that. So Anyway, I just kind of, like, lay out the landscape to people, and then all of a sudden it's less threatening. And that's part of what I was trying to do when I, when I, when I got into, uh, you know, adult filmmaking, was say, hey, you know, one, you know, porn is so broken on so many different levels, and it, it ironically has this, it's one barrier, you know, to entry against mainstream movies, which is the ability to show explicit hardcore sex it is so misused and And you know flagrantly tossed out uh, to, to the public that there's a real opportunity to use that to create narratives that engaged and charged audiences in ways that only an adult movie can do that mainstream can never touch right? so how close can we get to the the border of where, where mainstream is actually approaching with with a lot of its its uh, television programming um, right now but but use sex and show sex in a way that develops the narrative, uh, uh, enhances the characters, um, uh, creates greater engagement and identification, um, and charges the viewer emotionally in a way that, that mainstream simply can't do. Um, and, uh, and and do that in a way where people who are watching the movie identify with the, the life arc of the character. So all of a sudden, you're, you're, you're not just thrown into a dungeon with somebody having their ass whipped, you know... Uh, uh, You know glowing red you you identify with 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 the story and the character that led them into that situation So when you're watching it uh, You're you're experiencing it. You're you're experiencing a level of kind of empathy with the character And 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 that's that's something you don't see in a lot of most porn where it's just like hey At a bar. Hey, you know my babysitter. Hey, oh my wife's daughter Right? I mean, that's the stuff that you're seeing going on in porn. It's like these are not, these are not healthy, realistic things. That's another point, too, is I, I try to start from you know, things are, start from a healthy space. I don't use a dysfunctional relationship as a catalyst into some sexual adventure. It always mm. starts from a healthy, intentional space, and it gets better. Because right? mm. that's my whole point. Is like There's nothing wrong with a monogamous marriage that's, that's got a great, healthy family and kids that are thriving and been going for 25, 30 years. Right? But that's not to say it couldn't be better. Right or that there are other options they could explore, so um, that, that that's that's part of what.
2: Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and it, it's interesting how uh, these things are are uh, you know the porn world and the, the, the conventional world or whatever in 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 film and TV are considered to be so separate, so it's like inherently separate, and yet they're they're edging toward each other from both directions. I mean not so much from the porn side your work is is trying to edge that way from that that side um but clearly uh you know HBO and, and uh, you know Netflix and all this stuff they're trying to have uh to introduce a much more mature uh conversation about this stuff transparent have you seen yeah, that yeah, it's a great show yeah really interesting treatment and and it sort of makes me proud sometimes to see some of these shows like finally finally mm-hmm. intelligent people are making intelligent shows treating sexuality in an intelligent way i mean it's amazing it's taken this long but uh it does seem like like they're do you think they'll ever merge do you think that at 50 years from now people will look back and say you know
3: silly how they those two things were considered separate for so long well the, you know the distinctions are kind of interesting you've got like hard cock you can't show hard cock on, on, on TV without getting you getting can it. You, you can show, can, show full can, frontal though you can show full frontal soft oh you can't show it. pink you know no. so, <laughs> no right right so there are these like very subtle distinctions yeah, and yeah. and when they're when they're reviewing the footage they go frame by frame you know? yeah if oh, 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 <laughs> you, you got to like edit that yeah. out um, and of course penetration you know you can't show penetration so. You have the, you know, th- those are the only differentiators. That's what I'm kind of, you know, yeah. pointing to. It's like, that's the only thing adult has. It's because weird. Because the D- narratives are better in mainstream. Yeah. The, the acting is better in mainstream. Right. The production quality is better. Sure. Right? All, all, the scoring is better. They understand all these things. And adult doesn't. Yeah. Adult is basically, due to gonzo, basically, gotten into this whole thing. It's all, it's, I'm going to explicitly show you what the sex looks like. I'm not going to, to, to worry about what it feels like. And have the viewer experience the sexual charge that's up there on on screen before you. Right. I'm going to show you what it looks like, and and, and, and and it's basically for the sole purpose of male masturbation. Right. Almost all porn that's produced is is masturbation porn, and and and, and feminist porn has kind of gone. And you know Courtney and Shine and all these folks have basically gone in the way of well, that's female masturbation porn. Or in, in, in their minds. At Is least. it
2: true? I read somewhere like 40% of
3: all porn purchases are women or something like that. That seems high to me, but it, it I mean, that seems really high to me. Um, but it's definitely something that's, you know, in in the media and, and growing. I mean, they've come out with studies recently by, you know, uh, some of the tube sites that Pornhub and, and others have done, you know, studies of what kinds of porn women are watching and how it differs from the porn that men are watching mm. um but for for our sites for instance it's uh the the, the some of the best percentages are like 30 percent and how you do know, you know women.
2: if it's a man or a woman watching
3: uh well usually it's the name on the credit card oh. you know and okay. i mean that's how we, we well, that's our for pages, paid stuff that's yeah. for paid stuff exactly and then for the uh, the, the tube sites are, are going off of various demographic information that's provided to so ISPs. So why is
2: anyone paying for porn these days?
3: Well um you know there are why do people pay for music, I guess, is you know one of those questions. I think some people just uh um like a more secure environment. Right? I'm so going to I'm, I'm not getting malware. I'm not going to you right. know, a you know tube site where who knows what kind of cookies are dropping on me or um I'm I'm uh you know, uh, I, I I think people like to buy things, right? They're they're consumers. They they want to have a transaction. They they want some people understand that it costs money to produce, and so I'm going to pay for it. But is it is becoming an increasingly charitable act to purchase adult content because? Yeah. And this is part of my response to it, which is if you keep making content, um, and we know what the viewing times are. They're about three to five minutes. Most men view movies for three to five minutes. And so all the movies are made with a very specific demographic in mind and a, and a very specific sexual narrative in mind. You know, it, you watch them and it's like almost all the pants come down. There's maybe a little hand job, you know, a little blow job, He goes down on her a little bit and there's feeling up and then, and then it moves right into penetration. And it's like 15 minutes of penetration and of various kinds. Um, and it's all designed just to get you off. And, you know, it's just like uh, en- endless arias in opera or something. It just starts and they it starts. <laughs> it's like, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, so and, and each piece is shot to be discrete. This is a, an important point. So they shoot it scene by scene and the scene is completely self-contained. You never, in Anal Massacre 38, you're never wondering, I wonder what's going to happen next. I mean, <laughs> you know, these are, these are very predictable, you know, scenarios. And, All right, and, that, that may be the best soundbite ever on this
2: podcast. <laughs> <laughs> in Anal Massacre 38, you're never thinking about what's
3: coming next. But that's yeah. it. So porn, this is one of the things that's funny. It's like porn is explicit. It's explicit in terms of the way... The sex is portrayed. Uh-huh. You know, they show it's like you know medical gynecological. Yeah. Well, they're they're
2: selling those clips right individually.
3: That's right, right. That's so right. That, that's why they make it these little discrete pieces. That's right. So the, yeah. the the scene is shot and and it's defined usually by the studio as well that says, look, you know, big tits, um, double anal, uh, you know, cream pie, and it, you know, it's going to have to, you know, meet those. Keyword criteria so that I can repackage this scene and make a compilation movie out of it. Uh, and how many times can I repurpose this content right. to re, you know, uh, repackage it and resell yeah. it? Right? And sometimes you even see flashes going off, which tells yeah. you they're taking super low end, as well. super <laughs> low end, super low end. That's right. So just in terms of the economics behind this stuff, most of the movies that are being shot now are costing between ten 000 and twenty thousand dollars for the movie, the entire movie. And uh, the actress is getting what? 2,000. The guy's getting 500. There's a big discrepancy between usually between the male and female, and, and the female performer is paid uh, uh, based on a combination of uh, who she is in the industry, in terms of you know how many followers and fans does she has. She can command a higher price, and what is she doing? Um, okay. And you know, it's anal is up you know up there at the top of the price list, and ironically, blowjobs are down at the bottom. And blowjobs are one of the most violent acts, actually. In porn, but it's the cheapest act. But that's, well, with all it, this gagging yeah, shit. Exactly. I mean, what the fuck? I, exactly. I don't
2: get that. That's one of those, you know, it's like saggy pants. It's one of those things that just <laughs> makes me feel like a grumpy old man. Like, like, I see that and I'm just like, what the fuck are people doing these days? Yeah. You know, like, what, what is a turn on at seeing a woman, like, almost
3: puking on your dick? I, I just don't see it. I, I don't know. I I don't I don't identify with that either. So that's what's funny. And and you know I look at a lot of the porn that's coming out, and my thought is either I'm an anomaly, and the idea of this kind of you know sex um, is attractive to everybody else but me, or there's a big market of people that that aren't being served by the kind of content that's coming out of the adult industry. Well, Ooh. is, is the appetite for porn changing?
2: Are, are millennials looking for different stuff in porn? than? cause I always thought like porn was porn, you know, like you're watching people fucking and going
3: down on each other. And you know, like, I, well, well, okay. I so here's what's happened, right? You've got something profound happened in the adult industry that, that And they all, all these things happened kind of at the same time, where the adult industry was living off of, like, tremendous margins about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a VHS that would cost, you know, a dollar to make yeah. was selling for, you know, $39, $49. And in the gay market, $60. The, 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 the margins were huge. Right. And the distribution channels were very controlled. You had to go into a store... You know, in the in the early days, you had to you know there were, of of the uh, the internet, you could log onto a site and buy it, um, but the tube sites weren't around yet, uh, and uh, uh, th- they were just a wash in money, and it was a un- unfortunate case where Gonzo had hit, so they were a wash in money. There was no production cost because they're like, why make a hundred and twenty thousand dollar movie when I can make a ten or fifteen thousand dollar movie with one person holding a camera, shooting themselves having sex with somebody. Um, and, and make the same money, right? Yeah. Uh, so there was no incentive to, 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 to make quality movies. Right. And, and then because the channels were controlled and the markets were there and the demand was high. And then you had, you know, piracy with tubes. The, the digital distribution came out and all of a sudden, it was like, hey, it's all, it's all out there. And the tubes were giving it away. And they were really easy to use. And Google was there. Mm. You could just search and bam, there's free porn everywhere. And uh, then you had social media. Come along, it's like, and you had chat, video chat come along, so the market got hammered with piracy, fragmentation of attention, and um, and uh, 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 you know a, a collapse in distribution channels. All all happened at the same time, um, and so there's been a downward spiral to, towards you know, well, I can only afford to make a twenty thousand dollar movie because that's you know it's the only return on investment I can get, and um, and yet at the same time it's kind of like that product's free. Right. so there 's a huge appetite. you look at you know Pornhub and these, these sites the, the top adult sites have more traffic than the top mainstream sites combined, and so you can look at the content up there and go there 's obviously a huge demand for the five to ten minute masturbation clip right, right. So my take is that 's fine, but that 's not where the, the industry can go. So where can the industry go now to, to do something meaningful that makes money? Well, you have to create content that doesn 't uh, 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 satisfy your user, user in in viewer in five minutes they 've got to see something and wonder what 's going to happen next it 's a basic storytelling you know technique of I, I, you engage the user and you, you you engage them in a in a story and and you elevate them into a world of fantasy that they need now to see played out that doesn 't happen in porn at all so that that's that 's my response to piracy, which is that you can't watch our movie in five to ten minutes and be done with it. If you watch five to ten minutes, you're going to wonder what's going to happen next. Mm. I ne- I'm now connected to these people. I'm connected to their story. I'm engaged on, in uh, my entire body, my brain, my heart, my loins. Everything is engaged in this viewing experience. I need to see it, uh, it, 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 it come to an end. And I think that's the only place that adult can go in a meaningful way is – is the space that mainstream is starting to occupy. And that, mm. that's kind of what I've been saying to the industry. It's like, if we don't get there, uh, we're going to lose the entire space. Because back to your earlier question, at some point we're going to see hard cock in mainstream. It's getting there. You know, years ago it was like, oh, no no nudity at all. Right. Well, now there's nudity and there's soft frontal, right? right? And I think 10 years from now, yeah, you're going to have hard cock. And at some point, you know, after midnight on mainstream, you'll see penetration and but but given
2: what you said earlier about the, the higher production values and, and you know, sophistication of, of mainstream, if they get there, even if you're already there coming in from the porn side, you know, they're going to blow you out of the water because, you know, you're coming in, let's say, ideally with a $200,000 budget. Yeah. They're going to walk in with a, you know, $20 million budget, and there's no way you can compete with that. So even if you got there and occupied the space, you really, you know, you'd lose it the minute... The laws changed, or the culture changed to allow them access wouldn't you
3: well, it depends I mean, I think what happens there there are there are like openings there are always brief openings and and then the big gorillas come in and, and occupy that space, but during those openings, there are opportunities and, and mm. I think there 's an opportunity right now for creative people who are working in adult to um, carve out space, and so that 's one piece I do think there 's space to carve out there will, there will definitely be and i think I think the competition i, I don 't view our competition is being from the adult industry because the, the adult industry is so broken and we can talk about right. that on some level i view it as like the james franco's out there right. you know who are kind of yeah. like pushing the boundaries yeah. and yeah. that's where it's going to come from it's going to be like that's interesting there's
2: there's, gonna all, be... there's a growing yeah. what's the word coterie of, of uh, mainstream actors who are saying hey let's let's do it let's play james spader with the secretary exactly. that was really maggie exactly,
3: exactly. Yeah, it,
2: there's some interesting it's going to happen
3: out there right sometime in in, in you know i mean frank was in cherry which was a a, an abysmal you know uh film but um it it showed that he was willing to put his hollywood brand right on the line (laughs) you know in a movie that has hardcore sex we even broke back mountain you know which obviously wasn't
2: uh, i mean it certainly wasn't a porn movie but i I found that to be sexually explicit in a way that made me admire those actors because i felt like they took a huge risk
3: with their careers yeah Exactly, yeah, very and, and psychologically charged. I mean, that's. Yeah. The, I mean, why why were you feeling that? I mean, those were you know the tense scenes are like whoa. These are a really intense yeah. moments, and it goes to show that intense? you don't in in intense. They were intense. In the <laughs> intense. <laughs> Intensity, yeah, <laughs> that's right. did I? and and they you know in part because um, you know less is often more, and that's that's part of what we were trying to do in our movies is show that. You, know, you, you don't need to dump a bunch of you know, vanilla ice cream on the plate when you sit down for dinner. Um, that's not what I want. I want, I want, a, I want an appetizer, an amuse-bouche. You know, I want a main course, and I want to work my way into a dessert. And I, I view penetration as, as something that needs to be shocking and amazing when it happens, because it is. When these performers go on screen, I mean, we talk about, oh, my God, what a risk this person took by being in a tent and you know, faking you know, being a gay guy. Well, we've got performers out there who are having sex in front of a camera For all of us to see That's amazing actually Not that James Franco is in a movie with hardcore sex mm. It's that India Summer has sex In front of a camera for you and me And everybody else to see
1: mm, And cool. she does
3: it with, with all sorts of Different types of people Right? right? She's, she's out there and, and she can perform And this is what I, was, I, was, I recognized during the first movie Is wow there are adult performers out there Who are doing this With really clear intention they have a reason for being in the adult industry and they can act and they're not being given the opportunity to do it and I was mm. like well what if we gave them the opportunity what if we really put the time and effort into crafting a story spending time on, on directing um, spending time on wardrobe and makeup that makes them look like real people instead of porn stars all the time and, and, and scored it um, and, and set it in beautiful locations and made it feel like an epic narrative what would yeah. they look like then? You so, know? so now we could, we're
2: talking about uh, your second film
3: that yeah. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That you're in and, with and, my and, clothes on, and uh, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, we, we couldn't afford the budget. <laughs> Chris the, is at the top of the price the charts nude for male scene got
2: Cut. I don't know why. <laughs> they tell me I was great in it. <laughs> Man, I had my abs were so
3: tight. <laughs> is that what they were? <laughs> Those were your abs. <laughs> Yeah, that one big (laughs) (laughs) abs. Well, people said
2: you know six pack. I kept drinking six packs. I I don't know what happened. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) yeah. So how did you get into this? This, Well, uh, when you were a teenager, did you say I want to make porn movies?
3: No, no. It's the funny thing is is when I was uh, a kid, you know, I don't know, like twelve years old or something. um, The uh, Playboy's 25th anniversary issue came out or something. It was like a it was like the phone book. It was oh, huge. And yeah. and I asked my dad, uh, he said, like, what do you want for your birthday? And I said, Well, I want the Playboy 25th anniversary <laughs> issue. And How I old? thought he'd never give How it to me, you? right? He was 12 years old. <laughs> and, um, and I thought, I thought he'd never give it to me. And then I was like, he comes home from work and I'm lying in bed, flings this massive magazine onto my bed. <laughs> and it's like,
0: oh my god. God, that's
3: incredible, right? And, uh, and I, you know, I, I through, and then word got out that I had this magazine, right? Uh-huh. And so these guys literally show up, and I hear these, this knocking on my window, and I open it up, and there are, like, three of my friends there, you know, looking like, you know, unfed puppies, you know, <laughs> You're like, I, want to, uh, I hear you've got the door, and, um, and I hit it. I was like, oh, my God, this is, a, you know, this is incredible, what am I going to do with this? So I went to my, my, my sort of then mentor, uh, a friend of mine down the street, whose parents were a biologist at, at UC Berkeley, and I was like, what are we, we going to do? And he's like, well, first let me investigate the merchandise. <laughs> so he takes it and he disappears for a while and he comes back, and we come up with this idea that we were going to take the rabbit hutches that his parents have in the back of his house and um, connect them all to create this, this kind of U-shaped uh, passageway, and we draped it. Um, to, you know, block out any light, and we put this red boa over the front, and then we, we pasted the... We, we, we carefully cut out all of the images, and we pasted them along the wall of the rabbit hutches, <laughs> and we charged a quarter for the guys to <laughs> crawl through with the flashlight. No so we sent them in one by one. Into, that, that was my first foray That's into adult, right? and That's uh, so
1: funny. But I
3: kind of just, like, forgot about all that stuff, and, and then the <sighs> Internet kind of came along, and... and uh, And you know, yeah, yeah. So that was that was like clearly I had entrepreneurial, you know, kind of instincts that that aligned well with, with adult. And um, and then many so years. So how long did that last? Did oh, you it guys broke get down. Busted, like, we got about halfway through the line, and then everybody was like, "Come on,
1: man!" You know, they were like yelling, <laughs> hurry, up, "Hurry up, hurry <laughs> exactly. up!" You know?
3: So they were like, "You complaining? I've been waiting in this life. <laughs> so we just we forwent the quarters and just let them go one by one. After that, but we did get a few quarters, and uh, uh, and it was definitely the light bulb went off. You know, and uh, and then years later, with when the internet first came around, it was '93. Um, I was like, Whoa, this is a venue for adult content, like nothing else. And, Mm -hmm. and I, I, you know, approached good vibrations, um, which is a sex positive, you know, toy store founded in San Francisco, um, and brought them online and, and kind of like, that's how I got back into it. But it was, it was also just sort of a side gig for me. I was really doing online community development and working with the alternative press and other, other political, socially active organizations and bringing them online. That's where I was kind of, you know, my heart was. And through a series of really fluke circumstances, um, I ended up becoming the VP of online of the largest adult company in Europe. And and in a, in a meeting, a, 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 an executive meeting, the head of production asked me a simple, how come you're not selling more of my movies online? And there was like this awkward pause because the sales were, were plummeting. And, and I said, uh, basically, you know, because your movies are irrelevant. They're totally irrelevant. And... There's no market for them anymore. That market's gone. We've got to make different movies. And he laughed. He's like, oh, it sounds like you think you could do better. And I said, I think I could. And, um, and so I wrote a script. And they were like, oh, uh, that's kind of interesting. And then they said they gave me the green light to produce the movie. And it became the best-selling movie that they've made in the past eight years since Gladiator was their last one. And it just blew everything else off the charts. So clearly they're like, okay, he's on to something. And, and that's when it started. That's when I realized, wow, mm. there's a real opportunity out here. Um, You
2: you produced that movie. You were the producer.
3: I was a screenwriter, um, and and then I was kind of involved in – I was intimately involved in every aspect of the casting and all that stuff. And and then I did the marketing for it, but it was actually directed by Alana Rothman and produced by Kink, Peter Ackworth at Kink. And um, and, and the interesting thing there is like when I sat down in the room to see the final cut, I fell out of my chair because – it was like I had the dream team of third wave feminists because I really wanted this to be a woman centric movie, you know, mm. like really appeal to women. And I had Alana Rothman, who's an incredibly talented and bright person, and and and, and Lorelei Lee, who's a, you know the darling of the feminist porn movement, and Simone Jude on on uh, as director of photography. These were all like stellar, very articulate, you know, uh, feminist uh, porn um, uh, 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 performers and, and, and filmmakers, and. I'm sitting there watching the movie and the first thing I see is like this facial cum shot. And I was like, what the hell was that? <laughs> that wasn't in the script mean. And they're like, oh, you know, we're trying to take back the cum shot. And, and and I realized then like the porn meme is so strong. Like the way people we just we see porn shot a certain way, and nobody thinks like, is that really the right way? You know? And and it's a fundamental difference between mainstream and adult. Whereas in mainstream, what we see on screen never actually happened, but we believe it happened. They recreate it to make it look like it happened, and we believe it. In porn, they just have run-on sentences where the camera rolls, and you see sex for 20 minutes straight. And it's like, they show you exactly what happened. But you never create an environment that gets into different aspects of your psyche and your body. And that was kind of my goal. is like the sex needs to be inside of your body in a different way. And it's not something that I want you to sit there and masturbate to right on the spot because that's out there. If you want that, it's out there and it's free. Mm. I want the sex to be an experience that charges the narrative. Right. Um, and, and so getting having it shot that way is almost impossible to do with filmmakers who are steeped in porn. They don't know how to get out of the rut. Right. And that's, that's part of the problem with porn. Right. Um, so do you think, I
2: mean, I know this is a, a detail in what you're talking about, but you reminded me of a thought i've often had about the uh the facial and uh, the idea that it's inherently degrading to women right and what i was thinking was that i don't i don't i don't know that that's really what's going on uh at least in my head when i see that because what i'm what i'm thinking is you know, of course, the money shot is all about, you know, the guy sort of put, placing himself in that other guy's experience, and, you know, that gets you off somehow. But the the facial, like, that's the most beautiful part of the woman. So I don't re- To me, it's not a degrading thing so much as combining the two most potent aspects of what's going on. From the guy's perspective, where I'm projecting into his experience, like, okay, the cum shot, then, you know, that. And, and the most beautiful part of that woman is her face. So I don't, so I want that in the screen. You know what I mean? And that's the way of combining those two things, you know? So, because, I mean, otherwise, like, it all blends together. Well, you know, the tits and the ass
3: and the pussy and all that. It's, so I sat down and did something really interesting. When I finished, open because I thought the same thing. I'm Like, well, maybe my reactions to these shots is just my reaction. It's 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 a, it's an anomaly. Mm. So I sat down with with eight women individually and watched the movie.
2: Not your local PTA. Uh... Yeah, no, no. yeah
3: right. you know, By the way, just, hey, yeah, come over watch the movie. Um, yeah, these were people who clearly knew what they were getting into. And um, and and uh, it, it, you know, what was really interesting is that. I, and I was particularly interested in the reactions of things like the facials, right? And uh, of the eight, and that's a, you know, obviously you know limited pool, but, but uh, enough to get like, a, a sense of what's going on. Only one ha- didn't have a negative reaction to the facials. Um, right. and And all of them thought the hottest scenes were the internal cum shot scenes. Right. where the guy never pulls out. He's inside the entire time, right? right. Fast, which you almost never see in porn, right. right? You almost never see that. And they're like, well, it's the connection. It's that connection that's really hot. And these are sort of the things you don't see in adult, the subtle things of the way the hands are holding a shoulder, you know? Yeah.
2: Um, well, and that gets us to the difference between the way men and women experience these things. Uh, you know, like the, we were talking last night, about Fifty Shades of Grey and, you know, how that's this huge cultural phenomenon, huge money, and really low quality, both the book and the film, from what I've heard. And uh, so that that really gets into, you know, you're saying the women experience that negatively, but as we've established, that kind of porn is for men. So... I can see how a woman might look at that and feel that that's degrading, but I think that's an illegitimate analysis of what the men are experiencing when they watch that. And if men aren't seeing that as degrading, then it isn't.
3: Well, but I'm not making movies for that market. See, that's that's the key thing, right? For which market? For the male masturbation market. Well,
2: well, yeah, your Mm -hmm. movies are more for uh, sophisticated male market and female market.
3: Couples, right. f- yeah. women, and pro- more progressive men. Right. So, yeah.
2: so now that's what I was getting at, though. Is there, a problem, is there an inherent problem uh, with making erotic films for women in that they don't experience sexuality as visually as men do?
3: Well, I think, uh, okay, I, I. actually, I think that from what I've read, um, I find it fascinating when you see, like, you know, you put these images in, in front of women, and and you say, like, well, what turns them on? And it can be a, a, an incredibly broad array yeah. of imagery. Right? Well, we
2: talk about that in sex at dawn. Yeah. Like the the bonobos fucking turns them on. Yeah,
3: physiologically. No, no, that's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. I think that's exactly. So whereas guys might look at that and they're like, there's nothing. There's nothing. that doesn't really get a response. But yeah. but women can have all sorts of, you know, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, repetitive, you know, uh, raindrop rolling off a leaf or something like that, you know, like these these things, and all of a sudden that, that can become really hot. And I find that fascinating, which shows like there are so many different ways of triggering, you know, sexual interest um, with women. Whereas men, you're you're like if we can go through the battery of what you see online, it's a very limited set, right? Yeah. And that's why I'm like it's it, it's kind of like I look at porn as like what, what what Sony Classics did to classical music. At one point they said. Every single major symphony has been recorded really well by somebody. So we're just going to take that body of work, and it's $8.99. When, this is when classical music was selling for like $39 a CD. You yeah, know, it, Sony yeah. came out and said, that's done. Right. Because this market, it's been produced. Yeah. Right? And, and porn's kind of like that. It's like, well, yeah. the double anal shot? It's saturated. <laughs> I mean, Anything like, you want is there. we've got 100,000 clips of that, yeah. right? Um, are we really lacking? And, yeah. and, and so... You know, that's where I view the great opportunity is like, wow, when we start making, you know, adult content for people with more, you know, opportunities to be stimulated in creative ways, it gets really interesting, whether it's the combination of the story, whether it's just visually. I mean, a lot of fascinating stuff's happening in the short, you know, short kind of clip porn area, but that's very different from a a, a narrative. What do you mean short? Oh, like the, the, you know, even Dan Savage's Hump Festival. Oh, yeah. He's got some great content. Yeah. It's really interesting, really creative stuff. It'll never sell. The problem is, like, where's the market for that? Like, how do you get that market in front of people that are going to buy it? It's interesting, though, the the hump thing, because that sells out in every city
2: they do it in, right? I mean, I I went to the one here in Portland. Cassie and I went last uh, Mm -hmm. couple months ago when when Dan was here. It sells out everywhere really quickly. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of interest in that. And and for people who haven't been to the festival, it what they it's a one night thing, it's what, three, eight two and a half hours or something like yeah, that. Not even like an hour and they've and a half got a like everything. You're gonna as, as Dan says in the introduction, you are gonna see something tonight that's gonna make you uncomfortable. There are maybe ten or fifteen different short films. There, you know, transgender, there's gay sex, there's incest, incest, there's like, you know,
3: piercing and, you know, Uh, one conducts Beethoven's Fifth Symphony with his cock. (laughs) 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 Yeah, there's a lot
2: of bizarre stuff there. And uh, so but people come out for that. Now does that mean There's a market Or does that just mean That in these cities There's a you know
3: I think it's an experience Right Yeah That's like It's like live music And it's being with those people It's Dan Savage It's highly curated It's really creative And interesting And you know you're
2: you're in a room With a lot of kinky people That's right Interesting people Yeah
3: Right Like people who are open to that. Right. Um, and uh, so I think that that's what they're there for. They're not, and that's what exactly what I mean. They're not coming out going, Oh my God, I need to buy the compilation, you know, this D V D of this 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 or where can I buy it online? That's right? That's true. It's yeah. a very different kind of thing. So he offers a public experience of that kind of sexual charge. Right. And, and that's what I mean. Like really creative, interesting stuff, but finding how you know monetizing that is, is, is tricky, which means getting these filmmakers to do more stuff like that on a larger level is nearly impossible. They they, yeah. they don't have the money to do it, right? Yeah. So I'm trying to break into a market that shows, you know, and this is what's tricky about what I'm doing. Um the uh, uh, my movie by the way by the standard, you know, a porn community has, um or a, has been highly highly regarded and, you know, they, they call it the landmark, the breakthrough, the so missing we, link and we, let's talk about this. It's
2: called Marriage 2.0. Right. Is is it it's out now. It's it's, it's publicly available. It's online available. and the
3: DVD is going to release pretty soon.
2: Okay. And so where can people find it online?
3: Um, they can find it online at uh, um, uh, adamandeve.tv.com uh, or adamandevevod.com. Um, Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. And they can they can pay through the credit card and download it yeah. from there. Okay. Mm-hmm.
3: And there's a there's a website out there, a marriage uh 2.0 uh movie.com that they can also go Yeah, and view at the, and trailer see the trailer and, the and read about the and cast and the story yeah. and the synopsis. It's um, a it's
2: a really beautiful film. I, I've got a, I haven't watched it all the way through yet. I think you sent me an early version. I I watched some of and I've seen, you know, the various I think you have a few trailers. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh it's so beautifully shot. It 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 looks like a feature film. It's, you know, golden colors. And the really, I mean, one of the erotic characters in the film is San Francisco and the whole Bay Area, the way you guys use the landscape is really nice.
3: Well, we really wanted to create settings and environments that um, were beautiful um, and natural uh, and comfortable and accessible to the audience. We wanted to Place the performers in locations that are accessible, visually accessible, and you know, you're like I've been there, I've been to a party like that, I've been to yeah. a restaurant like that. And you just, again, you don't see that in adult, in large part because it's expensive and people don't want porn in their their their, their, their spaces, right? right? But we had some great people who said, yeah, yeah, okay, you can use my space. And it again, this is really an homage to the the, the great performers who who are in this movie, who who do this, who take the risks and. You know have sex in front of the camera for for everyone else um, but but the the tricky part is is that though the as small as the current market is, it is the existing market that has whatever frayed distribution channels there are, those are the ones that lead to the men and a few of them into you know a, a, an alt porn or feminist porn market which is even which is much smaller than the the male market so when you make a movie that 's for a market that doesn 't have any direct marketing channels. Right. you How got a you problem. Reach those people? You got a problem, right? Yeah. And that's the, that's the challenge that I have is saying I've made a movie that I think everyone will appreciate. Whether or not they like it, they're going to appreciate the effort. And most people really like it. And when I've done screenings, I did one in New York a while back. It was, you know, midnight and it was 150 people showed up for the screening and 150 people were there at 1 a.m. when we finished the Q&A. I mean, it, and, and a guy ran up and he, he said afterwards, you know, I knew it could be done. I knew it could be done, but you guys actually did it. You have hardcore sex in a real movie. Um, and, and so it's, it's, it's an amazing kind of feat. And I think people will love it, but nobody knows about it. Right? Why? Because there aren't marketing budgets to get, to get it to that market. And the people who are talking about it are not the people that my audience reads. Right. Right? I mean, so I've made this movie for an audience that I actually don't have um, uh, uh, direct channels to. And that's what I'm, I'm in the process of doing is building those channels up in part. And this is part of the goal here. In part to show that there is a market. There are people out there who will pay and support the kind of content that, you know, is progressive and is engaging and is creative um, uh, to, to hopefully – help other producers who are doing this stuff, but they don't have access to that market. They just produce some really great stuff, and they put it out there, and they send it to Dan, and Dan goes, oh, great, I'll put it in the Hump Festival. But, but that's it. There are 120 people in that festival that, that you know, learned about this eight-minute clip, and that producer is never able to take their, their, their creative energy to the next level, right? right. So I'm, I'm trying to create a market for truly you know, um, uh, uh, creative adult cinema. Mm. You create it or and, and find it
2: in a way, yeah, right? Because yeah. it's there. It, it, you know, we've and, and yeah, I've read some of the reviews of of Marriage Two Point Fantastic. I mean, you can see that people. I mean, the one guys like, yeah, I've been waiting my whole life to see a film like this, right? Yeah, like yeah. my entire career, I've been hoping to see a film like this, and here it is, fantastic. Um, but you're right. It needs to, you need to somehow get that into a more mainstream um, venue so that, uh, so that the people who are ready for something like that, and we know there are millions of them and they're eager for it, but they just don't know it's there. Yeah. So anyone out there, uh, you know, who, who, uh, controls one of those venues,
3: <laughs> <laughs> drop us a line. Well, what's really interesting <laughs> is that, you know, uh, I made this movie in, in, uh, conjunction with Adam and Eve, um, thinking that they were a, a great, uh, because Adam and Eve does have this, uh, uh <clears throat> You know, very strong position in the uh, toy market. You know, um, they they sell tons of toys, and and the funny thing is, they, they stuff you know really intense hardcore male porn into the boxes that they're shipping off to these women. Who oh, like they're free. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like what free,
3: the hell is this? Free, you know, uh, right. Bukaki compilation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know things like your... you know incest films. Right, <sighs> you know, they're sending to these women I was like yeah, that, there's a total disconnect. So I yeah. thought like, hey, let's make content. But when I made this movie and they saw it, they they were just shocked because it's a controversial subject. It's about ethical non monogamy. Um, I, I use you know it's a very diverse cast. These are not people with you know a, a, lar- a large amount of body augmentation. These are natural bodies. They're, it's a very diverse, you know, set of bodies that you see. Um, it's a very different way of shooting the sex, you know, so they're, wait, they're waiting for the big pop and it never happens for them. And they don't understand that, right? They don't understand it. So they've kind of backed away from the movie, you know, feeling like, hey, this doesn't really represent our brand. Our brand's glam porn, you know, and you've created something too edgy. Too different. That's too controversial. That's unbelievable. Right. And, and, and so the irony is it's like the one adult distributor that can really push this movie into the mainstream market steps away because it's too controversial for them. And, but, and it but, shows something about the conservatism of the adult industry. Yeah, that's what I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, it's, exactly.
2: it's like a mirror image of yeah. what you'd expect, right? Because yeah. they've been pushing boundaries all this time. And here, here's something that's actually in some ways pulling back from those boundaries, yeah. Yeah. right? It's sort of moving closer to the heart. And that they consider to be controversial. Yeah. Very strange. Well, I
3: think that's it. Is that it gets into your head. I mean, this movie is controversial on many different levels. And,
2: and let's be clear. Like, there's, no, there's no kid fucking. There's, no, there's nothing no, controversial no, no. In, a, in a prurient sense in this film at all. T- just tell us the story, the basic narrative.
3: Well, the, the basic narrative follows a couple that, um, you know, the movie starts out where India is a documentary filmmaker and she's interviewing you as part of her documentary, right? Just like... A couple of our, your friends are currently doing right now. Okay. Everybody's showing up with a camera interview, and so is India. And and because she and her partner are are exploring this world of of ethical non monogamy, but they're kind of in a transitional state where they're moving from uh, unbeknownst to her really, but they're, they're they're moving from sort of you know casual sexual encounters with people into more intimate encounters with people. And I think this is a classic transitional moment and the great thing that most people fear about right. ethical non-monogamy. They're like, right. well, you're going to fall in love and, and it'll crater the relationship. That's right. the classic objection to it. Like, oh, right. everybody, of course everybody would want to, but it's a, it's a recipe for disaster. And they're approaching that point. And she's, you know, um, uh, uh, so they go off on this completely, almost you know, overly romanticized weekend up in Tamales Bay and and have just the the idealized you know weekend retreat, wonderful, loving you know intimate connections, great conversations, wine you know with the sun setting, and just as they're leaving, it all comes crashing down when India you know uh, it, while making a, a reservation for them in the following week at a hot springs, uh, remembers that her 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 partner is having has a date with with what turns out to be a younger girlfriend of his the following week. And, and so she kind of, like, struggles with these initial feelings of jealousy and uh, decides that she needs to continue to move past those feelings and, you know, support their efforts. Um, they end up going to a party, and she witnesses kind of, like, the sexual apex and emotional apex of the movie where Eric and his lover are in a dungeon and having very, very intimate, loving sex. And she witnesses the partner whisper, you know, uh, you know very kind of um, an intimate... Um, Nickname, you know, into his ear as as she comes and it is like a devastating moment for her and they have a huge fight and they have to then, you know, overcome this, 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 uh, um, you know fear it 's a, a fear right in, 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 in insecurity about the whole thing and see, she reaches out to her friends and does all the classic things the partners do the classic things, which is reinforce the boundaries for their lovers. I mean part of the movies is a you know part of what makes this work is having being with people who understand and respect those boundaries because they will help you reinforce those boundaries when you 're not enforcing those boundaries mm. um, that to me is the the great lover the, right. the role of the great lover yeah and, the,
2: the lover actually s- Works to to keep your marriage together,
3: as in as a way. Somebody once said to me, "It's like you know, uh, uh, we're doing well when you and your wife are doing well, right?" And I thought that was a classic line. Like, I'm I'm support. I'm here in support of your relationship right. because that facilitates our relationship, right? Um, that's a very healthy dynamic, and so I you know I try to show like that's part of that's part of what you know when, when things are vulnerable and 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 and, and unstable. Uh, Somebody doesn't come in and invite them into their house and have like this very intimate retreat and kind of act as like a a respite from the troubled relationship. They actually, you know, force him to deal and help them to deal with the relationship. I
2: think people don't understand that that there are actually healthy ways to to um, configure that situation. Right. I mean, uh, I think it's impossible for most people to understand to, to imagine a conversation in which you know, a a woman is, has a lover, a married woman has a lover. And that lover says to her, no, you need to like spend time with your husband. You need to like talk to him about that. You need to, you know, uh, be more understanding of where he's coming from. Like, wait a minute. What the male lover is not trying to steal her away. He's not trying to sabotage their marriage. He's actually interested in helping that marriage be, be stronger. People can't imagine that. Yeah. But once you step through the mirror and and you're in that world, then it makes perfect sense. Of course he does because he likes seeing this woman. He doesn't want to disrupt her family. He loves this woman. He doesn't want to destroy her life, right? I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. But I think people have so much trouble imagining it until they've experienced it. Yeah anyway so that so that 's the so the basic narrative of the film is they 're going through the, these difficult times and they 're um, sort of exploring their jealousy their insecurities, and she 's making a film, and that 's why Cassie and I show up because right. she interviews. Uh, me for the her film, and then she and I have a, a personal moment there in the kitchen, and
3: which is great. Your act, actually your acting stands out in the film. It's like one of the best <laughs> acting performances. I mean, it's it's true. We were just hey, It's shocked, easy, like, it's easy it was, with your pants on. It was, it was,
1: yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Keeping your pants on was our problem, <laughs> Chris. Oh yeah. <laughs> well,
2: I remember that on the set it was really fun. Like we had lunch on the set, and and uh, you know I've been I've been on a few porn sets, and it's just so. Uh, interesting how comfortable everyone is with nudity. Yeah, because India and I and I did a couple of scenes there at the table and then in the kitchen. And she's you know dressed. She's a documentary filmmaker and blah blah blah. And then uh, okay, that's done. And then you're moving on to the next scene. And I went and changed out of my clothes into my more casual clothes. And I I come out and I I don't know if it was you or the director was standing there chatting with india like going over what was happening in the next scene and she looks at me and says yeah hey what's up and and she's completely naked (laughs) and it's just like you could tell for her it's she could be naked she could be clothed absolutely no difference and to be around someone who's that comfortable with nudity is interesting and i didn't i wasn't there for any of the sex scenes I didn't Well, watch. you were in the you were in I was the building. In the, I was in the, the apartment, but yeah, I, yeah, Yeah, but I didn't want to go upstairs yeah, yeah. and, you know, disrupt it. Really, like, your
3: friendship with Nina. At the
2: <laughs> well, yeah, that's it. I I know her. it's weird. It's weird. i am like kind of squeamish about it. Right, right. I don't know. It's strange. And they're yeah. not. That's the funny yeah, thing. They like, you know, it's definitely Chris, my would you like hangout. to come up and watch?" Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like,
3: oh, <I'll> stay downstairs. <laughs> Thanks, Nina. I got some emails <laughs> yeah. to attend to. <laughs> No, I think of like that. that, It's funny. The first time that happened to me was uh, I was you start to see like people have really different approaches to this. I was I was 16 in Sweden and, uh, 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 you know, at my friend's summer house in his sauna surrounded by all these amazing Swedish women. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And we're all naked. And I never had an experience like that. It's like a 16 year old American kid like, surrounded by these beautiful women and they're all naked in front of me and they're having conversations. And I was sitting there and I just kept thinking of like Richard Pryor with the, the big fan over, you know, where he's he's posing as a eunuch you know? and the guy's trying to find Richard Pryor. Yeah, so he gets this naked, you know, yeah, woman dancing yeah, yeah. in front of <laughs> Richard, the only one who gets the heart on and the, the feather lifts up. Right. And, and I was like that. I was like, I was sitting there and I start to get a heart on in the, in the, in the sauna. Yeah. So I had to run out nowhere to hide, and I hide. dove into the Baltic Sea. It was just freezing, <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, "Who is this American? This amazing American guy who dives into the Baltic?" <laughs> and I'd come back in, and ten minutes later, I'd have to run back out. <laughs> <That's> <laughs>
1: it was like, a, uh, oh, man, that's funny. It,
3: it, that's that was my primer for porn sets. You know, <laughs> <laughs> hose me down. Oh man! All right. So, have we? Have we? Is there anything we should cover? No. No, I mean, you go on and on about the porn industry, but I mean, the the basic line is just like you know. um, uh, I I, the 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 point of this was really to say that you know, out of adult, you can the adult genre can be a genre that approaches you know complex topics um, with art and elegance and sophistication using hardcore sex to drive the narrative. It seems impossible, right? Like, it, it hasn't been done. It's been tried, and people talk about the 70s and, you know, and the 80s you and the attempts that were made mm-hmm. there. But I always go back to this film saying, eh, really look at the sex and look, look at how it's shot. It's, it's not that different after all. What they are trying to do is create a movie, and there is a, a narrative that, 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 you know, ties the scenes together. But as Reed Mahalko said of this movie, he said, this is like, you know, um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon for adult. And and that was the first martial arts movie where you know the narrative wasn't a bad excuse to get to the next fight yeah, scene. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, yeah. he said your movies yeah. like that, where the narrative is not a bad excuse to the next sex scene. You know, um, and uh, it, it really is elegantly woven together. And we, we 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 put tremendous. And I should say we. You know, it's a Paul Deeb who directed the movie uh, is is an amazing creative force. Uh, uh, you know, director, uh, writer, composer. You know artist, uh, editor, um, just just a, just an amazing guy and, and Redvine, who did all the wardrobe and makeup. I mean all these people worked really hard because they wanted to show it could be done in the genre and, and the performers I mean, you were there with India. I mean these people did multiple takes because everybody wants to show that there's more. There's great potential in the industry and there's great potential in the performers. They're just not given the chance. And they're not given the chance on multiple levels. Sometimes it's financial. It's just, there's just not enough money to make that movie. And, but most of the time, it's, it's tied to the skill of the people behind the camera mm. and the directing of the movies. There was a great moment where, on, on the first day where we were doing rehearsals with uh, Ryan Driller in India Summer, um, we, were, we, we did like four hours of rehearsals of one scene. And at the end of it, Ryan was, uh, uh, I should, this is a key point actually, because when, for the first hour of that rehearsal session, there were a couple of scenes where like, if we can't get these right, the movie doesn't work. We have to get these scenes right. Cause it, the wave never crests otherwise. Mm. And so we really focused on them. And, uh, in the first hour I was like terrified it 's not working it was it was not working, and it was so bad. they came knowing their lines they had their lines memorized, but but the delivery was just it was just horrible really and And I was brought back to because I originally came to kink with this script it was thinking, hey, we did one let 's do another one and they they rejected it because they said this movie cannot be made an adult just because they don 't have the chops. The, they, the, the performers can 't pull this off right. that's that 's what they're then not too much uh, emotion i shouldn 't say kink it was their head of head of production at the time mm. who was since fired um. But he, he, uh, uh, he said, yeah, you can't make this movie an adult. They, they don't have the acting chops for it. And, and after that first hour of rehearsal, that line started echoing <laughs> through my head. I was like, he was right. Oh, no. He was right. But Paul kept working with them. And, and he started doing improvisational work and loosening them up and trying to get into you know, stories, personal stories. It got them in, m- mentally into the spaces that they needed to get into to show the vulnerability. And this is a really difficult thing for adult performers to show That's a good that point. level of vulnerability because right. they're going they're into such to a charged protected. environment. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So you're asking them to do something that they've been trained that they've trained yeah. themselves not to do. Exactly. Never go in there being vulnerable. You've got right. to be have your wits about you and protect your boundaries at all time. We're saying drop that. Right. Drop that, right? Very hard to do. And within two hours, I felt like I had to leave the room because I was I felt that I was in the middle of a domestic dispute. The wow. acting had, had elevated to that level where I said wow. I, I'm uncomfortable being in this space because they're having a fight. Right. And and but then so we're all done for, you know after four hours Ryan Driller is sitting there with his hands between his head, you know, looking completely exhausted his, and bored. his head between his hands. Yeah, his head between his, his hands between <laughs> his head. So I said, yeah, that that he also did. <laughs> <Wow. you> know, <laughs> Doing various shoots, and uh, and I thought, oh Jesus Christ, you know, here's a guy who's used to getting a paycheck showing up being there for a couple hours four hours you know hitting certain positions and getting out and he's thinking what the hell am i doing here this is like right. exhausting um, this is not what i'm paid for and i walk up to him and i said hey ryan you know is everything okay and he pops his head up and he said yeah yeah um it's fine it's great nobody nobody ever cares about our acting Nobody ever cares about it. They just say, yeah, that's a good shoot, and they rap and go. And he said, you guys, I, I just haven't had an experience like this. Thank you. Thank you. And that was the start of, I think, everybody was recognizing we were after something very different here. Mm. And all of the performers got that. They got, we're, do, we're not doing a porn shoot. Right. We're actually, this is something that 20 years, 30 years, at the end of your career, when people say, what did you do, you're going to point to this movie. Say, that's what I, that's what I, that's what I got into the industry for and that movie justified it. Um, it, was, it was a great moment uh, to, to, to hear that from him, you know, because um, they aren't. They just aren't given the opportunity to demonstrate the breadth of their scope. And, and when you get an adult performer that has the kind of courage and bravery and intention to have sex for the public, and they have the ability to pull off, you know, a believable, emotional arc that's extraordinary, and there's no other performer on earth that can do that, right? Only the adult performer right now can do that, and, and that's part of what this film is about, is to say, this this performer that's overlooked and seen as kind of a joke, you know, um, the object of, like, you know, our facial masturbation fantasy actually has a lot more that they can bring to the table, and, and it can only happen within the genre of adult. It can only happen with these people. And, uh, and You're
2: right. I mean, if you think about it, go in the other direction, right? Think about taking, um, you know, uh, James Franco or uh, George Clooney or wh- whomever were, you know, whatever the actor du jour is and saying, okay, in addition to what you normally do, now we want you to, like, have an erection uh, for half an hour with all these camera guys and the lights guys and the sound guys and just ignore them, right? And, you know, convincingly make love to this woman. And then we want you to change position. So, in other words, if we add... The porn yeah. requirements like two hours. Right? <laughs> <laughs> to what they normally do, like how many of them would, would stand a chance? You know, and essentially that's what you're doing. What you're I'm taking saying. the porn that's right. people and saying, OK, now we want to add this emotional uh, component, you know, the, the sort of legitimate acting component to what you're doing. That's you're right. That's that's really heavy it's and
3: a it's a big i mean i can me hear
2: i can hear the admiration in your stunning. voice no it the,
3: is it is it's, uh, you know th- that's what happened to me in the first movie i realized like wow there's so much talent left on the table here every time every single time there and, and you hear it because i've been in the industry for 20 years you know i hear the backroom chatter and it's like oh she can't act oh he can't act i'm like no you can't direct mm-hmm. you can't write right. you can't edit you can't score she can act.
2: No, you, you know, know, Of course, we're not saying all porn actors would be no, good, no, legitimate no, 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 actors, no, no, but there are plenty of them. And I've I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen this as well. There, as you said, I think at the beginning of this interview, you said something about um, uh, that people get in. A lot of people get into porn with intention. They're there for a reason, and it's not just easy money, because it, it, it isn't easy money. Um but like like Nina Hartley, for example, she really sees her porn career as being a kind of educational uh crusade. That's right. That's right. You know, and and I think there there is a uh an underappreciated um percentage, and I don't know if it's ten, fifteen, twenty percent of people in porn who are really smart. Yeah. yeah. Like like off the charts smart. Yeah. And they look at this as a way of, of you know, having autonomy, of having, uh, you know, control over their lives, of, of obviously make, making a living, some of them hopefully. But but people who could be making a lot of money doing other things who choose to do this for, for uh, you know, everybody for their own complicated reasons. But, like, the idea of the dumb porn star is...
3: Uh, immediately, I mean that's what happened to me because yeah. I went in with a bunch of assumptions about well who does this and why, and they were immediately shattered. And I remember having like a conversation with Laurel Lee in the first movie, and you know we were, we were like talking about Samuel Beckett and we were talking about you know Arthur Miller and you know yeah. she's got an MA from NYU in English Lit and is taught and, and you know you're you're dealing with a whole different and and on top of that, has overcome this incredible cultural barrier of yeah. shame and sex. Well, I think that might be
2: one of the things that attracts those types of people, yeah. Yeah. right? They're like, oh, you're saying I can't do this? Well, fuck it. That's what I'm going to do then because that's where I'm going to learn the most. They're challenging. I, I mean, I found the, the same sort of thing. I'm, I'm not big into S&M and that kind of world. But you know, when I've been invited into you know, that scene a little bit by people I know – Again, you, you have these assumptions. I, I mean, the reality of the people who are involved in that world is in many ways the exact opposite of what you think from outside. Yeah. Right? Because you look at that world from outside and you see all this dominance and submission and, you know, nasty, kinky whips and chains and all that kind of stuff. So, <clears throat> so it's natural to assume that those people are what they look like. And it turns out that they're the opposite of what they look like, because the world of s n m and that the sort of kink world in general is very much about explicitly setting things up so that nobody really ever gets hurt It's safer than just meeting someone in a bar and going home with them because every there's safe words there you talk about what happens beforehand. what kind of scene are you into? What are you not into? <clears throat> because it's so explicit and and sort of um, controlled in a way, it's actually an extremely safe environment.
3: Well, it's a very sophisticated dance. Like I look at things like that as like dancing, mm. and you know, as opposed to the the, the mm. masturbation mm. porn and stuff that's that's out there, which is a completely individualistic thing. The attentiveness, and you see this in our scene with with uh, Christian Wilde and and, and Dylan, uh, Ryan, uh, uh, Dylan Ryan Dylan um, Ryan. His level of attentiveness to her throughout that scene, you can see him checking in all the time every time he strikes her, every time he hits her chest, you know every time he grabs her nipples, his eyes are right on her face he 's like, "Where is the boundary i 'm mm. not going to cross that boundary <clears throat> right and, and, and that 's something that I think you know no matter what kind of sex you 're into that 's a lesson that I always take away from the BDSM crowd, which is like that level of attentiveness of right. understanding that we are dancing together and I'm, I'm slowly learning what you're comfortable doing, what you're not comfortable doing, and sometimes that's through explicit language and sometimes that's through a read. You know? But the, it's, it's, it's the attention um, and, and awareness that you have to have when you're in the BDSM scene that I think you're gonna, you should apply to everything, right. and, and that, that's, a, that's an enhancement.
2: Right. Well, there's an interesting book idea. You know, like what I learned in BDSM that you know, helped me get ahead in business. <laughs> i can see the workshops right now oh
1: God, that's great
2: <laughs> all right well thanks for doing this man yeah, thank uh you. everybody can go to marriage 2.0.com uh, marriage 2.0
3: the movie or something or, like that but
2: yeah we'll just uh, google it, marriage yeah, 2.0 yeah, you'll you'll see it, you'll there. it there and check out the film you'll see my porn acting debut <laughs>
3: If you want to see Chris in a sequel, (laughs) buy this movie.
2: Buy the movie. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that, uh, please go to fundwhatyoulove.com and, uh, you know, buy me a beer or a cup of coffee or whatever. um, If you can afford it. If you can't afford it, don't sweat it. Thanks for listening. Here's Carsey Blanton singing her great song, Smoke Alarm.
1: He said... Baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel Say what you want to say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day